So it meant suddenly that someone's health insurance, which they kind of needed anyway, was materially helpful to them in like what was a large out-of-pocket expense. And that was huge because again, it's like a financial consideration is keeping people from care that would be helpful to them and the company can do something about it. I never in my life otherwise had gotten flowers from somebody because of a, you know, health benefit that I put in. Like literally <laughs> like employees were so grateful about it and I it was very it was very moving in a way, right? And sort of in some ways like you think, wow, like why don't more people think creatively about how to do this because like that really helped. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders reveal the mental health stories that shaped them and their workplaces. On today's show, we have Marie Suits, VP of People at Figma, who chatted to Mai about how a solo desert quest got her thinking about mental health and how two colleagues and an espresso machine revitalized company culture at Figma. This podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. So, Marie, thank you so much, first of all, for your time being here, sharing this space with me. Well, thank you so much for, for having me today. I'm really delighted to be in conversation with you. I think these topics are incredibly important. So by way of introduction, uh, I'm Marie Such. I am the VP of People at Figma. And, uh, you know, Figma is a design platform for teams who build together. And that mission really resonates a lot with sort of how I want to do my work uh, in, in the world for a company that really has at its core this idea of, of collaboration and people working together. And, you know, I don't have a particularly traditional HR background. You know, I didn't go to school for HR. I didn't sort of academically orient myself in this way, but found that um, th throughout my career, I really, you know, the things that have brought me joy and I've found sort of innately I'm really interested in are about people connection and about communicating culture. And to some degree, that's all that people operations is, is finding what people are passionate about and, and figuring out ways to, to connect them. So just like an icebreaker, do you have any moment or event in your life that shifted your perspective on mental health? I think I can think of a, a few different points in time, but I'll, I'll, let's start with one. I was lucky enough to go to a high school that was a very experiential place, you know, one that thought not only about the kind of academic area of things, you know, here's the things you need to learn, but also what is it like to sort of expand the boundaries of, of you know, what you think your community could be. And so one of the special things that this place did was uh, every year um, had, had something called mini course which was a sort of designated time for people to, to take time away from just sort of the grind of high school classes and do something sort of quote unquote extracurricular. And there were a whole bunch of things you could do, you know, ranging from like, go learn how to make stained glass, you know, in a stained glass studio that maybe was owned by an alum and learn what that's like. One of the mini courses that I did uh, at that time was called Vision Quest. And it, it involved actually going out to, to, to Death Valley. I'm, I'm from California, this high school is in California, Death Valley and uh, and doing a camping trip first collectively but then going out and doing a three day and night solo camping where you know you actually lit like you found your base camp and then you found your solo campsite um and in so doing you know 
hearing and being with your own thoughts and your own self. There right. is almost no other time in the world where you do something like that, where you are, you know, deliberately and choicefully like alone and in a place that is, um, is very evocative, right? Being in the desert and being sort of, you know, in a physical environment that is, you know, both harsh in a way, but also spectacularly full of life. That was a very profound experience, as you might imagine, where not only, again, the prep leading up to it and the group that you were with, um, and, and this is, I think, sort of in some ways the lesson and the takeaway, because this was a group drawn from people across the school, from across sort of the proverbial cliques, you know, the jocks, the music kids, the art kids, the nerds, the what, you know, <laughs> and again, I say that a little facetiously, but it's true, right? Like there are people, you, there's a profound sort of sense of identity kind of creating when you're in high school, you're trying to figure out who you are. And so these were not people who typically interacted socially, shocking no one after or even during right this experience the bonds forged at this like core like molecular level with each other where you were sharing something and seeing like you know in that kind of cosmic sense like one another's shared humanity was really remarkable and um you know the again the sort of experience of like being uh you know on your own with your own thoughts quieting what's usually happening and then returning into community mm -hmm. i mean like the sweetest sight in a way right is to come back to base camp and see people i mean people, you know just you're flooded with emotion and so i you know again i i really found that experience to be very um you know just sort of changing in a way like what mindfulness can do to sort of shift your own inner critic and you know and also like your inner strength absolutely i guess there is these two components like the social part and the impact of how different people with different backgrounds with different interests can bond and connect from a, a very deep level which is we are all humans right and then you have like the more personal experience which you were talking about your thoughts and quieting the mind and all that. So from the more personal part, what do you feel is still remaining in you? What thoughts are triggered in you or experiences that you can say, oh, I, I recognize this. I also had it when I was there by myself, with myself. I think um, being so busy is sort of something that people use in a way as to, to like stave off the quiet like you know what would happen if i were alone with my thoughts i have to kind of constantly fill it up this is why we scroll to our phones all the time like we you know again sort of can't be bored anymore and this this type of stuff and so i think to me just recalling that that you know in fact there is so much expansiveness and value in that moment of like literally sheer and total um of uh, availability, if you will, right? You know, where you're not distracted by lots of different things. Because I do find that, um, you know, I, I, whatever you want to call it, like I, I'm sort of an overachiever. I like to do lots of things. And so to have to weave that in with like doing nothing also being valuable, I think that's the thing that I sort of, you know, try and remember as a pillar that like doing nothing is deeply profound and, um, actually serves right as a boost to all of when you're doing something you do it again 
not, not so much better, but just in a, in a way that is going to be more connected and interesting. Yeah. Many, many times we are in this doing mode and that disconnects us mm -hmm. from the emotions. And for many of us, that might be a defense, right? So when we are going through tough moments, we suddenly are even busier than ever, right? And we use it unconsciously as a way of dealing um, like a coping mechanism. I, I'm wondering. Because, I mean, again, doing something is the, it, it feels like it's the thing to, you know, it's, oh, we got to do something. We have to solution it. We have to, you know, again, when somebody is, is not feeling, you know, I mean, well, so if somebody is, is kind of going through something, our impulse is to want to fix them. And yeah. it's, again, it comes from a place a lot of the time where, you don't like to see somebody you love in pain, like, you know, and so the, you know, again, the, I need to rescue you. Right. Right. I need to again, do, do more. Um, you know, and I want, I want them to kind of get over it, get, get quickly, quickly go. Right. You know, are you better yet? Because again, we don't generally in, um, I'm finding like, you know, in American culture, Western culture, like sitting with discomfort is really hard and, um, and makes people, feel um challenged in a way that to your point like they they go to a coping mechanism because it's and a defense mechanism because they don't you know how bad can it can it get well it might get really bad so yeah. you know i better i better save this off now yeah and i think you hit the nail when saying discomfort because many people talk about negative emotions right it's like they are not positive they are negative they are uncomfortable yeah. they are yeah they are they are not pleasant to to feel but it doesn't mean that they are not positive as well and sometimes we want to yeah. escape from those so what what things do you feel affect your mental health nowadays so i mean overall right we are we're still in a global pandemic you know the past couple of years in particular right like thinking about resilience is very much on my mind right in this you know sort of sense of this the surge capacity right where people have you know it's like you, you kind of go into the emergency mode like oh my god there's a global everything's shutting down like wow this is really unprecedented and you know sort of again all the headlines right you know in these unprecedented times etc cetera, etc cetera. and so you sort of start in that mode and myself included right i have two small children i have a you know very uh complex and demanding job i mean you know again being in the people space throughout COVID, um, whether your company was thriving or not thriving, you had a lot on your shoulders and to sort of upend on the family side and caregiving side, what was happening, you know, the surge capacity has been surged out in a way. I think the capacity we have to like be in that emergency mode and we keep asking, dig more, dig more, find more resilience. So how do you do it to find resilience, to build up that resilience with you, with your kids? Yeah, I mean, I think the old adage, right, of like putting on your own oxygen mask first, it's really easy to say that. And it's actually it's quite hard to do. And I do see that, um, you know, again, with people teams not, and, and myself, right? And so the metaphor I like to use is like, how, do, how am I going to be a colander, not a sponge, right? So a colander is like a sieve, right, where I'm going to catch the important things and let other things flow through. And, and so like that to me is it just very, I, I almost, I think in metaphors a lot, right? And so that's a powerful image for me of like, you know, when I'm thinking, you know, how am I, is my day going? And am I taking on, am I sponging it all up and becoming, you know, completely overtaken with all of this? And 
and, and again, something actually I talk about in onboarding for, for Figma on their first day for people coming in. It's like, you know, it's very exciting. You're here, this vision and mission. And like, you know, we hired you not only for the skills you have, but like we hired you for you and you're going to be a founder. And it is incumbent on us to have a discussion about what does like create that resilience for you and how are you going to do that in an ongoing way instead of getting into a boom and bust cycle where it's sort of like you know run your battery down to zero oh have to take two weeks to make it back and then go back and just do it again it's very spiky for me you know it's playing music uh, i'm a musician i met my husband through playing music and you know it that's a real sort of area where it feels like i can you know be be doing a, a craft uh, at a very sort of high high level but using just a different like language processor of my brain. I very much believe, you know, music and chamber music is a kind of language. And so how do you connect and, and you know, do that with other people? You know, and same thing with my, my kids who are, you know, budding musicians themselves. Um, so I'd say that's a big thing. Or again, I like to do things with my hands. I feel like in the digital age, you know, so much we do is very intangible. So I counteract that with doing, you know, things that actually produce a tangible product. I mean, I got you know, I really, for many, many years, I've been into, you know, making, making preserves, like that's the sort of thing I make jam. I, we joked that it was just like my pandemic stress project, but I made <laughs> a lot of jam. And, and again, there's something incredibly satisfying about that. It, yeah. You take it and you, like you watch the alchemy of what happens. And then at the end, there's like this actually beautiful object that then you can give to somebody to share that. What strategies do you use within Figma uh, in order to protect and foster mental health? I think one of the key things about sort of mental health in the workplace is that it is accessible and talked about in more than one way, right? It's not enough for something like this to just have like one, one offering or one area, because like that's actually not how our brains work. When you think about how do you interweave this idea of mindfulness, of wellness, of mental health, like acknowledgement and care within a workplace, you do that in a bunch of different ways. And so things that I've found important to do is even just like in my my people operations, like monthly meeting where I pull my whole, I have a number of different you know functions that are that are in my group. And we, we come all together at least once a month to to share, you know, sort of like, you know, highlights. Uh, we, we dissect a win. We, you know, do a special shout out to somebody. And I end that meeting every time actually with a closing meditation. And again, it's people, of course, of differing levels of familiarity and comfort with like their own meditation or mindfulness practice or none in their own life. But just that's one time where we say we deliberately call out, you know, let's take this time to actually focus inward on us. And so um, cameras off and a guided meditation together. And it's really restorative. So it's like it's five minutes. It's five minutes, like, you know, on a monthly basis. It isn't like necessarily a huge program people put therapy like sessions on their calendar in a visible way right people write therapy they don't write like you know private doctors up yeah they don't hide it right and we have that from the leadership level too like normalizing that is a thing that like you can make time in your day to do you know throughout the pandemic we've incorporated what we've called uh covid recharge days typically sort of appended to a weekend so that there can be a sort of longer stretch where people can really disconnect. And that is a very different experience than taking a PTO day yourself, but your inbox is still filling up. You know, you feel sort of beholden to your other colleagues, whatever, you know, you don't truly feel disconnected. Well, it's different if everybody is actually kind of paused. And 
Um, you know, and I think it needs to be a push and a pull. I think, you know, you can't just keep shutting down the company. We have customers that we're beholden to and that right. kind of thing. And I think you touched something very important there by saying like leading by example, and it starts with the leadership team. So how do you make sure you have the buying with all the leadership team in making time and valuing and also sharing this importance to mental health? I think again, I mean, like any sort of initiative that like works uh, at a company is like you're in dialogue with the the employees about what's important to them. You know, you can do that through surveys or sort of anecdotes and all these kinds of things. And so I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear to the leadership team that this is something that is just, it's deeply important to our employee base. So on the benefit side, uh, there are numerous offerings now, right, in tech companies that lower the barrier to entry for like finding and trying therapists. And um, so we, we happen to use modern health. And when we rolled that out, we actually had a member of the executive team do the rollout and share their own personal experience with access to therapy. And that again, and you know, and it wasn't me, like it wasn't the person who you sort of would be like, oh, well, like Marie's clearly involved with this and like, you know, on board and it was somebody else. And so again, that spreading of the like, you know, communication and the, again, the, the personalization of it, I think is really profound for others to see that. And even in our core medical offerings, this is something that I did actually when I first arrived at Figma, really listened, like, what is it that's important to the demographic here, right? Yeah, you know, you, know, you need health insurance, right? You know, here, here in the States and this kind of stuff, but what could I do to make that health insurance more applicable to, to the, the, you know, what people use this for? And, and I heard loud and clear, the kind of quote unquote medical expenses that people mostly had were around actually seeing therapists, you know, people that they had, um, you know, deep connections with, and so weren't necessarily, you know, interested in switching. And so when I brought the medical plan and I actually negotiated it such that we waived the out of network deductible, for example, like this is something again, sort of US healthcare, right? You know, many, many therapists, most in fact are out of quote unquote network. And so there's a very high cost burden that is on the individual before they can realize any benefits from their health insurance. Like I changed that. I put that on its head where we waived that deductible. We, you know, negotiated a better uh, uh, rate overall. And so it meant suddenly that someone's health insurance, which they kind of needed anyway, was materially helpful to them in like what was a large out-of-pocket expense. And that was huge because again, if like a financial consideration is keeping people from care that would be helpful to them and the company can do something about it, that's a really incredibly um, important part of what it means to sort of work here. And I think shows our, our values too. I never in my life otherwise had gotten flowers from somebody because of a you know health benefit that I put in. Like literally <laughs> like employees were so grateful about it. And I it was very, it was very moving in a way, right? And sort of in some ways like you think, wow, like why don't more people think creatively about how to do this because like that really helped and like again if you even think about it just in terms of cold hard roi for the business that person was more functional and like more able to like do their work and and and, and show their talents and so it's just like kind of feels it's win-win on that side so now that you mentioned roi do you keep track of the return of investment from mental health or not or how do you position yourself there I mean, as so many people metrics are right, there's to some degree some challenge with like, you know, okay, what's, what's causal, 
right? Because there's so many variables. Humans are so complicated. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can, you can make some hypotheses. You, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're going to see that trickle down effect in your metrics and your engagement scores on belonging, on psychological safety, right? Could I make a like total bulletproof case that because I invested in mental health over here, then this happened or we made this many more widgets? Eh, probably it's not, more you know, and yeah. so I'm not going to waste a bunch of time, right? Like weaving that together. But I think it's again over, like it shows up, like, what is your culture like? What is, uh, you know, what is your retention like? What is the next implementation or the next step in, in your agenda in order to foster mental health at Figma? I think the things that we're thinking of right now really sort of, you know, as we get bigger and we become a definitively more global company, is how do we really think globally about our, our wellness strategy? And, you know, that's not just sort of like gym memberships and this type of thing, but wellness as incorporated into daily work, right? How do we think about time fragmentation? How do we think about meetings? How do we think about hybrid work where we're going to have people in offices, you know, as we open them safely and we're going to have people who are working remotely. So we're thinking a lot about like, how do we find those times and those moments of people actually physically coming together. And that, you know, even if they're sort of remote workers, you know, how might we create what we're sort of dubbing like a summit, uh, you know, of like figmates meeting together. And what are the things that we would do in the course of a summit to, to build connection, to find that common humanity, to, you know, sort of break down those silos. And again, I think that's been something historically Figma has actually done almost like sort of by feel there was a, a tradition that was born where I had two people, an engineer and someone from product support come to me and they, you know, they were both sort of coffee people, really into coffee. And they like, Marie, we want to, <laughs> we want to make a cafe experience like on the, on the ninth floors, so we'll bring our espresso machine in on the subway. And I have to say like when I was hearing the story, I was like, oh my God, really? Like this sounds messy and kind of like what? And what actually they were doing was like figuring out a way for community to come. So they brought in their espresso machine. They made lattes for four hours. Oh, great lattes, by the way. And it was like this moment of connection where people were there and talking and, you know, and that became a Figma tradition uh, called Cafe Figma. And there was like lots of scope creep because everyone wanted to contribute. And, you know, people were making made to order avo toast for each other. <laughs> and, you know, so that's something again, like, and you know, we had to go virtual and like, it's not terrible, but it's not the same when you have to do that in a Zoom room. How might we revive that and do it in an interesting, like sort of hybrid virtual way. Like what if a Figma office had on the ground floor, Cafe Figma, and it was actually open to the public. And maybe we also turned it into like an art gallery or a maker space. So it's like, these are the ideas too, where it's like, we're thinking about how do we incorporate into our office space, into our daily life, these moments that are not just the regular grind, right? It's the equivalent of like stopping what you're doing and like, playing some music or making a jam or this kind of thing, because it, it switches your modality. And so we have to realize those, but that's kind of a, an area I'm thinking about. Yeah. I mean, for these things, it's so needed to think outside of the box and being creative and listening. Because I was hearing you were like doubting, but you trusted. And it was like, okay, let's see what happens. And it's trusting that people can chip in and, and bring things into culture and into inclusivity and mental health as much as the people team itself can do. That is so, that's a great point because it's like, it would be a very different feel if the HR team had come and hey, can you create this thing? That's something very emblematic of, of Figmates 
is like the generous offering to one another and to their colleagues. And like, if you allow that time and space for that to happen, that's so enriching for people. And again, it's so culture building and it's so connecting to the, the mission and the team as a whole, not just, hey, here's your TPS report, right? Like they spent four hours making lattes. Like that wasn't their <laughs> job, but it was hugely impactful for them and for, for others. That is awesome. Just to wrap up, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice around mental health, what would you tell them? Mental health is something that there is so much dialogue about now. This is such a golden opportunity for you to really think differently about how you can bring this into, again, not only the top-down offerings, but also just sort of the, the ways in which you, you dialogue about it. Because like, God, after COVID, right? Like if, you know, people who didn't think of themselves as therapy people they're thinking about this, you know, it's just like if the, the events of the world have shifted things in such a profound way that like our jobs are, how do we lower the barrier to entry on this? Because if somebody is like confronted with like a giant list of faceless phone numbers, and then they have to kind of call and, you know, maybe deal with, no, like actually tech enabled ways to, to access this really can allow people who you know, or maybe are still working through like their own stigma on these kinds of things. I've had several conversations over the past year with people who I know, like whether it's stiff upper lip or, you know, just sort of a sub, they never, ever thought of themselves. Like they, mental health care was for other people. And clearly the events of the, the past year were wearing on them in, in such a strong way that they were open to and interested in taking some steps towards that journey. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you, you have these possibilities to offer that the barrier to entry is very low, really can mean that you you change the trajectory of somebody's suffering or you allow them to tune themselves up. So it's like, I think just take advantage of this moment to know that this is not a nice to have. This is part of who we are. It was such a pleasure hearing you talking to you. It was amazing. I really enjoyed our call. Once again, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you so much. It was a delight to talk to you. I feel like we could probably talk for hours. Yes, so, absolutely. Thank you, thank you for having me. Mental Health at Work is hosted by Maite Otero, produced by myself, Simon Dumont, and brought to you by Oliva proper mental health care for the whole team. Thanks to Marie for the valuable takeaways and positive California vibes. If you're a designer who has to collaborate with non-designers, try Figma. Even I can use it. Next week, my speaking to David Darmanin, founder and CEO of Hotjar. We'll see you then. <laughs>